Hey, welcome to another edition of the 40 Athletes Podcast, episode number 33. Uh, Jimmy, how are we doing today, man? I'll tell you what, you must be, we must have a high, I mean, level guest coming on today. I mean, you're putting the lights on, the countdown. I mean, this is big time. I'm excited. Well, you know, you got to get a little bit better every week. Right? And so, so this week I was like, how can I make the podcast better? So what I did was I searched like countdowns. And I was like, well, hey, maybe we had a little countdown before we get started. So it had some flashing lights. Here we go. And it does help that we have an international TV star uh, celebrity. We have a uh, – she's a, a journalist, all-American swimmer in college back in the day. And she's the author of The Full Spirit Workout. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm used to exercising my body, but never quite learned how to truly exercise the spiritual side of life. No, that, that's uh, an interesting one. So let's uh, bring her on. And uh, who do we have on? Why don't you tell us who we have on? Oh, yeah. Well, it's, her name is go. Kate Ekman. And uh, she I've had a couple conversations with her. She's a beaming light of energy. And we're excited to have her on today. So, Kate, welcome to the show today. Hey, guys. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. And I love the countdown. We got to get I, I'm a little flashy. I'm a little extra. Yeah. So I appreciate some bells and whistles. <laughs> I kind of feel like that was it was kind of appropriate too to add this today with the the lights, the glamour, you know, what, all the things that you have done in your life as far as TV, um, and now and as an author now as well. So you're used to being in the limelight, which is pretty cool. So thought we had a little extra today. Um, I, I like it. I like yeah. it. You know, but I do envy men that you guys can just show up in your t-shirt. It's great enough. Everybody loves it. My next life, I'm coming back as a, a man with no hair, so I can just <laughs> wake up and keep it moving. <laughs> And, you know, Jim's a pretty good-looking guy, so there's nothing wrong with that, you know. That's exactly. Yeah, on the opposite side, I'd like to have the hair. I'd do, like, different styles every day, things like that, Kate. So you're like, I don't even want to mess with the styles. Let's go. Hey, but you be careful what you wish for, everybody, right? That's what Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Well, Kate, first of all, how are you today? How are things going for yourself? Um, and we're so glad to have you today. Yeah, I, I'm happy. You know, this book and these concepts are my favorite thing to talk about. So it's just, you know, and as I've learned in all my research and, and really just what my own life dictated is the importance of social connection and doing things um, that society says, you know, aren't necessarily going to bring us uh, success and wealth and things like that. And, you know, our culture tells us we need all these shiny objects to uh, make us so happy. And, you know, what it says is that, you know, the money, the car, all of that, it doesn't actually move the needle on our, our well-being. So one of the things and my favorite thing that does is social connection and gratitude and acts of kindness or service, which I know you guys are big into. So I think any moment that I'm able to just connect with someone, even even over the interwebs is a great moment. And, and that's what I consider wealth and success. Yeah, you know, and the, the cool thing now is that we can connect over the interwebs. And so whenever we actually do get a meet in person one day, I think it's going to make it even that more exciting. So um, you know, I know you talk about in your in yourself like how getting stuck and staying with familiar can really hold us back, you know, but a lot of people like to stay in that comfort zone. They don't want to branch out from themselves. So what can we do to, you know, have our spirit guys and, and get out of that comfort zone, stretch ourselves out a little bit? And because we know that's where the growth is at. Yeah, I think it's just being willing to stretch your comfort zone. There's a spiritual principle that says our good intentions are not enough. Our willingness is everything. So 
just be willing. And in and, and my experience, when you're willing to step out of that comfort zone, the universe steps in to help you. And I share a story in the book about, you know, leaving my home in Los Angeles. I didn't really want to move. I moved cross country to Chicago and the climate change alone was enough to kill me. I left my my cushy job interviewing celebrities and, and went to journalism school at Northwestern. But you know, I took that risk and leap of faith. And when I put my house on the market, it, it sold the, the height of the U.S. real estate market and the whole history of the U.S. real estate market. So that's just an example of when we take that risk, we are guided, we are supported. And our, our comfort zone is really just this arbitrary boundary that we've created in our minds based on fear. So you can just delete it like that corrupt file on your computer, drag it to the trash, and then come up with a new story or mantra for yourself and, and really co-create something new and, and just be willing to show up and have fun. And as I like to say, dare to suck, be willing to not be great at, at first, or ever, that's me in dance class. And, and let's bring a little more fun and levity into our, our life and into our, our decisions. Okay, what do you say to people that, you know, you've probably been around that, you know, when you're young, um, growing up, you got all these ideas, these dreams, these goals you wanna go after, right? And so you get to maybe 40, 50, you get to a certain point in your life, you're like, you know, everything I've done, it, it doesn't work, I never had success, and this is just the way life is. And they're just kind of, like you said, stuck. and they just kind of get comfortable where they're at, but they feel like they can't press on and they've had maybe a lot of setbacks and they feel like they can't succeed. Yeah, I think when you're stuck or you're feeling in that place and look, we've all been there. We've simply fallen asleep to the truth of who we are. And the truth is that we're powerful. We can do whatever we decide is important enough. And that that sounds like a mentality of someone who is stuck in the comfort zone, someone who is coddling their weaknesses or neuroses and um, isn't embracing their power. And you know, I, I think a solution to that or to being stuck is what I call my sit and stare time. And that's exactly what it sounds like. You sit quietly in a room alone and, and receive these, I call them divine downloads or intuitive hits. We're not listening to our ego mind that says, oh, nothing ever works out for you. You don't add up. You're never going to be as good as Sally or Johnny. Why even bother? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that mind that reminds you of the truth, that wisdom you can download like a computer file into your mind, bring it down into your heart, into your body, and, and really start to honor you know, where you came from. It's, it's humble, not arrogant to think that you are magnificent. You were created by, if you believe in God, spirit, universe, nature, I think we can all agree we are created by a force greater than ourselves, the, the divine intelligence that turns an embryo into a baby, into us. So I think a little more time spent sitting quietly and, and really receiving that guidance and, and turning off the distractions and unplugging from the nonsense and chaos and insanity and sickness of the world, quite frankly, and, and coming back home to ourselves. What do you like? You know, when you talk about that intuition, like hearing this higher voice and I hear people all the time like, well, I'll sit and I'll stay in silence, but I don't hear anything. I mean, nothing right. comes to me. Is it something that you tell them like, well, you got to have patience and maybe you do it on a daily basis eventually and you start to maybe hear that voice? How does that work? Right. Because they aren't practiced at listening. That's like someone going to a basketball court right now and saying, I can't dunk like LeBron. Duh, you know, and, and most of us, quite frankly, are never going to dunk like LeBron. He is even other players in the NBA. So I think it's staying in our own lane, giving yourself the time and space to practice. That's one of my five P's of confidence. And yeah, I hear people, but 
I'm hearing a lot of excuses and I'm calling this out with, with love. Um, but you know, we're, we're nearing, we're nearing midnight people. It's, it's 1145. We're not quite there, but the time is now this, this era of, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. It's gotten boring. It's gotten old. You've been given gifts and strengths that you can identify and, and leverage and use to your advantage. And the people who say, I don't have time or I don't have the talent. I, I think of someone like Tom Brady. You know, we are both Big Ten athletes at the same time. I was swimming at Penn State. He was playing football at mm -hmm. Michigan and not starting. Uh, he was one of the last picks in the NFL, as people know. And, you know, he's still winning Super Bowls and my knees hurt when I go to Pilates. And that's because he trains harder than anyone, not because he's the worst, but because he's the best. So I just ask people, who do you want to be and what kind of life do you have and what's your Super Bowl and, and, and what what are you willing to do to have a better life and to actually do the things that you say you want to do? Well, what you mentioned too, Kate, is you talked about confidence. Most people struggle with confidence, right? If you ask most people, like we talk about athletes, what would you like to have more of or help with confidence, right? So you said five P's of confidence. What are those? Yeah, and this is from my research at Columbia, where I interviewed dozens of leaders and in business and sports, and and spent hours and hours at the library like a big nerd. But the five P's are presence, so showing up like you mean it, and you have something to say, bringing your presence, your your full spirit, as I say, that's your authentic truth and power, and your your purpose and your passion. But it's also being present. So you. You know that you're not being present. I always have kids and, and animals will call you out, right? You know, the dogs in your face, like, why are you on your phone? What is cuter and more important than me? Or my niece and nephew, Aunt Kate, Aunt Kate, Aunt Kate. You know, put away your phone and be present. I hear a lot of people that I coach say that their, their spouses complain that they come home and they're not present. They've been at work all day. And they, I mean, this is a common thing and they kind of giggle, but it's like, what's up with that? It, it is a bad habit. And so once you've got your presence, then you move on to patience. And one of my favorite stories to illustrate patience, which by the way, this word stems from the Latin word for suffering, which is why we all struggle with being patient. We're suffering while we wait for that thing that we want. But 20 years ago, this is the only Grammy's acceptance speech I've ever remembered in all the years of watching it. But country singer Shelby Lynn won Best New Artist. And when she accepted her award, she was gracious, but a little snarky when she said, oh, best new artist. It's only taken me 13 years and six albums to get here. And so I, I laugh at that because I, I didn't even know her. I'm like, oh, she must have just started last year and already winning Grammys. No, I mean, and that's what we do. We look at the person on social media who's done the thing we want to do and think, oh, must be nice to be them or they, they just were given that but we don't know all the struggle behind the scenes and how long it's actually taken. So keep going, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Your uh, purpose, that's the next P, that's your why. Why is this important to you? When you have a really strong why, mine was um, dedicating my book, for example, to two men I lost to suicide. So the days I wanted to throw in the towel, these men and, and anyone who struggles with mental health, which is everybody I've discovered, um, I, I do it for those people. I do it for people besides me. So having a purpose greater than ourselves keeps us going. Then it's preparation. You know, when you're prepared, you're building better habits, which lead to improved behaviors, which lead to improved results, boost your confidence and practice. I mean, that's Tom Brady all day. And you think of your favorite artist, entertainer, athlete, all they do is, is practice, right? And, and I'll give you two uh, bonus P's. These have come up recently. And one is pause. 
And, and that's about non-reactivity, right? Because, you know, we, we really want to tell that jerk they're being a jerk or we get the upsetting email and it's like, oh, I'm going to respond. And, but this is about taking a moment to pause um, and really think about who you want to be in that moment and your response and also not needing to respond to people right away or taking a pause in between meetings and just, um, you know, not being productive for a minute. But I argue you're being productive while you're caring for yourself. And then finally, person, as in be a person. And my speaking coach, Eduardo Placer, says this to me all the time because I'm someone who struggles with performance and perfectionism obsession. And he's like, just be a freaking person. And when we're just being a freaking, pers a freaking person, we're in our humanity, we're in our authenticity, people can relate to us. And it's just refreshing to, to not have to present this perfect product or package to the world and just be that you know, a little messy behind the scenes person just trying to keep it all together. Well, and you know, Kate, what's cool about those seven P's that you said is that we all have the ability to develop them or have them already. And it doesn't require us to invest any money to find them. You know, so that's the thing is like they are already given to us. So like when people ask you, like a lot of people will say, hey, you have everything you need within you. Right. And but a lot of us are looking on the external. So that spiritual fitness piece, how do we how do we find that piece internally? What exercises can we do to draw those internal skill sets like you mentioned um, to help us get more of the expression, the external results? Yeah, I mean, I, I've written a whole book about it. You've, I've given you 320 pages to, to answer that question and go through the steps. But it is a process. It is a practice. But besides the, the quiet time alone, it is asking yourselves these deep questions that you've probably never even considered before, getting underneath the hood of the car. And a, a big practice is strengthening our trust muscle. And this is something that people struggle with. I, I've been there too. That's why I've, I've worked so hard on this and emphasize it so much. But, you know, I think if the people who are putting in the work and, and are willing to do what it takes and they think, well, when is my time coming? And it seems like everyone around you is achieving the thing besides you. That's when you really have to surrender and, and take your hands off the wheel. Stop gripping so tightly because when we do that, we're actually repelling our goals and just take a moment and take a breath and, and, and trust in a higher power that things are working out behind the scenes, even while we're sleeping and really practicing this. I, I mean, again, this is something I learned first and foremost from my mother who couldn't get pregnant for nearly eight years. Doctors said it's never going to happen. If you want to have children, you have to adopt. Obviously, something switched and flipped pretty dramatically because I'm her biological child. I have an older brother. So some and I, I asked her how what happened? Like, how were you able to get pregnant? She had health issues. You know, my dad went off to the Vietnam War, almost didn't come back. I mean, there were I we all are, are miracles. But my mom always called us miracle children when we were younger. And finally, when I was older, I'm like, what does that mean? And she said she was able to get pregnant when she gave up. She, she literally gave it up to God. She's a woman of faith. And I think that took the stress and pressure off of her body. And, and literally a month later, she got pregnant with my brother. And, you know, we're two year, less than two years apart. So she had a healthy boy and girl baby in, in two years. And so it, it sounds miraculous because it is. This stuff works if you do. But it is like going to the gym. You can't just show up in your cute outfit and, and, and expect your personal trainer to do the sit-ups and push-ups for you. You have to put in, in the work, but I've made these practices fun, so you'll return to them. This really is a life resource. It, it just picture it as your favorite exercise at the gym that you return to again and again, because it makes you feel good. Well, that's when you talk about, like when I hear this, like physical fitness, you know, people can relate to it. 
because you know how much time we spend like physically fit working out in the gym whatever we do eating drinking hydrating ourselves whatever it might be and then when you think about mental fitness is starting to become more of a uh something important now with some of the you know the struggles we're having uh with the mentality and with COVID and everything going on but spiritual fitness and when you say that like i, I for me it's like what is really spiritual fitness and how do you do yourself how do you maybe do things daily towards spiritual fitness that helps you even transform your own life yeah so spiritual fitness is really simply the courage to show up like i said not just that person that we present to the world but but that person behind the scenes who's struggling and and being honest about the struggle everyone is struggling in some way with their confidence with their relationships with their performance with just trying to keep it all together in an overstimulated, overstressed world. And so I think it's just, it, it is a vulnerability piece, an honesty piece. And there is such an obsession in our culture with the six pack and the bikini body and get ready for summer and you better look this way or you're never gonna be loved. I mean, it's really toxic. And I have an athletic background, I'm all about physical fitness, but we, we need to move a little bit of that obsession with the externals into the internals, into how we feel on the inside and exercising those mental and emotional muscles. I mean, you exercise your emotional muscles when you feel really triggered and you wanna explode in anger and you're like, ooh, I see the anger train coming, but I'm not gonna get on board today because I know when I do that, I mess up this relationship. I, I, I ruin a colleague relationship. I lose my job. I lose my, what, I lose my dignity. And so it's, it's practicing those minutes. And, and, and like I said, I can't say the word practice enough because just like physical fitness, you don't go once every other month and expect to be fit. We know it, it does take consistency, but the good news is, the more that we do these inner exercises, we start to become the person who attracts the experiences and the opportunities and, and the relationships that we want, rather than forcing and controlling and striving to make something happen, it, it comes to us. And, and my life has become an example of that, where now people email me, people call me, I'm, I'm given the opportunities um, because I've done the inner work to attract that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, sounds like the pull factor, right? You're pulling them in because of, of who you are and, and your confidence. And it goes back to self-image. So it sounds like, you know, you've really developed the self-image of who you are. And we have a inner self-image. We have an outer self-image of what the world sees us externally, but then our inner self-image. So, you know, how have you developed your inner self-image to be able to express yourself in a way that people want to come and, you know, learn more about what you do? Like, what are, what are the things that you've done to, to develop that self-image? Yeah, I, I mean, I've spent I've spent a lot of time. I, I have coaches. I've I've been to therapy. I I, I I have done the work, and then I continue to do the work. Even I, a coach suggested suggested another resource to me yesterday. And there's that part of you, right? That's like, oh my gosh, like how much, how much more stuff do I do to keep like going deeper and deeper and just clearing out any limiting beliefs or or stuff from the past that is affecting us subconsciously and, and, and affecting our lives that we're not even fully aware of. But again, I go back to a sports analogy. I mean, can you imagine LeBron James just like, I've practiced enough, like, why do I have to keep showing up? But but that's why it is important for it to have be that level of passion. I'm so passionate about personal and professional development because I've seen the results. It's this is where life gets really juicy. And I think this is why people avoid it. It's hard to look at your crap. It's hard to be triggered. And, and instead of blaming the other person or they suck or 
I'm not doing, having anything to do with them. Looking at yourself and being like, why is this triggering me so much? And, and oftentimes that go actually all the time that involves going back to childhood and, and some childhood wound or some limiting belief, something someone said to us when we were kids, we've made that lie our truth. We've gone about our lives subconsciously collecting evidence for why that lie is true. Um, I write about in the book, you know, being four years old at the swim club overhearing the swim instructor tell my mom that he didn't think I was a very good swimmer. And, and quite frankly, how heartbreaking it is as an adult to think of my four-year-old self at the swim club who developed a mentality that said, oh, oh my gosh, I need to perform at a really high level so that my mom and dad love me and are proud of me and I impress strangers and, and I can feel safe in this world. And yeah, I, I was able to achieve a lot um, because of that mentality and that obsession with performance. But at what cost? My whole life, I, I felt in turmoil, just filled with anxiety and insecurity. So we really need to clean these things up. And it, it does start with, with acknowledging that there's some things to clean up. This is everybody, by the way. No one's immune from this. It's part of the human experience. But having fun with it and knowing that this is where life gets really meaningful and fulfilling. Okay, when I, I hear this all the time, and you know that saying where it's like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, and you hear that, and that's baloney because you think about the words that seep in to our minds and get in our subconscious mind, like you at, at four years old, like you're not a good swimmer, or how many times have people of a coach, a teacher, a parent, or uh, a family member have said something to somebody that's really negative, kind of tone that they take in and they truly believe, and I guess for me is. When you get this subconscious conditioning of like your past childhood and these years and they're with you and you don't even really you're not aware of it or maybe you become aware of it what are ways that you can uh you know erase those remove those like be able to unlearn them you know to yeah. where you can go after what it is you want to not believe these lies that you're holding on to yeah i think you first have to identify the lies and it's just like is that even true and really take yourself through a process is this true no, or maybe, well, do I know for sure this is the truth? No. And then how would I feel if this wasn't true or, or what can I do? And there's a great a tool known as reframing and, and two words can really shift you out of that place. A lot of times, what do people say? Oh, this is so hard. And so I say, what if this isn't hard? What if this is easy? What if this is an opportunity to grow? What if this will connect you to your father in a more meaningful way? What if this will help you build the skill set needed to get your dream job or start your own business? And then you're in a space where I'm like, oh, this is more fun. This is more curious. This is more playful. But there's also researchers talk about the curious brain versus the anxious brain. And <laughs> I think we're all guilty of spending the majority of our time in the anxious brain. You know, like, oh my gosh, and freaking out and asking all those doom and gloom questions where the curious brain is like, hmm, what can I learn from this? Hmm. I was really bothered by what that person said. It was really hurtful. Why does that hurt me so much? Oh, it's because my values are being threatened. So much of, of stuff that bothers us is because our, our values are being threatened. So then it's like, okay, well, what are my values? So I know this, it does sound like work because it is, but getting clear on what you value. For example, my number one value is freedom. That's why I make choices that reflect that. I'm not going to be in a nine to five corporate office ever. That doesn't, that doesn't feel like freedom to me. And I think we all need to start a redefining, maybe you're married and you don't feel free in that marriage. So redefining freedom within that marriage and, and what that means for you and talk to your spouse about it. A lot of people feel stuck in that space too. So, um, there, there are assess, assessments like the values and action assessment that Martin Seligman, the founder of Positive Psychology, he did that. Um, 
you know, Google via character strengths. And then you'll even see what your strengths are. My number one strength, for instance, is love. So it's like, how can I leverage love in these situations? How can I leverage humor or my love of learning? So I think just this journey of self-discovery, you'll start to step out of your traps and into a much more empowered place. I want to get into what you talked about freedom and you talked about, you're not going to do the nine to five. <laughs> Um, you know, and I know like they've done research that says like 88% of people don't even like what they do. And a bunch of them are stuck in the nine to five, but they say they can't get out of it. Right. So what are suggestions you have for those people who don't like what they're doing? They're kind of miserable. They don't want to do it anymore, but they're fearful. They're stuck. Um, they feel like they, if they leave, they don't have enough money. They don't have the insurance. They have these type of things to take care of their kids or family, whatever it is. So they stay where they're at. Yeah, I would start to explore some options. And that's a, a step that we take in coaching. It's like, well, what are some other options? And on your time off, whether it's your lunch break and the evenings on the weekend, start journaling or start, you know, hire a coach and, and go through the, the coaching methodology or process, but start to really dig underneath that. And then I think you'll find like, oh, you know what? I can reach out to Jim. He has a contact at this place. Oh, I can reach out to Kate. She's a coach. She can help me navigate this. Oh, you know what? Jason actually works with someone who has my dream job. I love to do what Chris does. So let me reach out to him and, and start to have these conversations. And it, it probably won't happen overnight. But I think we have to start with believing, actually believing, not even just in our head, but that that wisdom that only lives in the bones and the body, believing that we actually can have a job or a marriage or a friendship or a, a healthy body or whatever it is that that we want and that we are worthy of these things. I think underneath the I can't, the woe is me, all of that is a belief system that says, I don't deserve it. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy of it. So that's what this book is about too. We have to start at the core. You don't treat the symptom, you treat the cause, right? No one's treating, um, you know, you got in a car accident, or not a car accident, but you got, you got cancer. No one's just like, okay, let's just like fix your hair. It's like, no, <laughs> let's like, let's fix the cancer cells that are causing you to lose your hair, right? So um, again, this is gonna take some time and it's gonna take that willingness, but you are worth the effort more than anything. And the people that say they don't have time, I argue that you do have time when you're spending two hours a day on social media. And I, I say that with love because I had to call myself out. I set the timers on my phone and there were days I hit the two hour social media mark at 10 a.m. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought I was on it for five minutes. So I think it's being more deliberate and intentional and conscious about our decisions that we're making on a daily basis. Well, that's what I was gonna bring up. I was gonna mention most people say I don't have the time. I, I, do, I do not have time to do this. I don't have time to do this. I have this to do. I have that to do. I can't find the time. And like you said, you can't afford to not have the time, right? To do it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have time to write this book, quite frankly. And, and then I, I graduated from, from grad school and the world shut down a week later in the lockdown. And I had four months to write this book. I was on a very tight deadline with the publisher and it was lockdown on top of lockdown. I mean, think of how we were shell shocked last March and April. And that's when I wrote the majority of my book, March, April, May of last year. Not because it was easy, not because I had time, not because it was fun and convenient. It was just like, this is what I have to do. Um, this is what I've signed up for. It was making the conscious and deliberate choice. And why was I able to do this? Besides my passion, besides having a very strong why, 
this was discipline. This is what I got from swimming competitively for 17 years. So did I ever make a dollar? Well, I guess I got a college scholarship. So that, you know, was some money, but you know, nothing is wasted. And, and I look back at, at just being a, a, the swimmer, the four-year-old who wasn't a good swimmer at the swim club, but that discipline for 17 years, after you swim competitively for 17 years, you guys are athletes. It's like, I could do anything. So I, I think it's just, you know, tapping into that discipline. A question I ask my clients often is, what made you successful in the past? And I did, I do draw from my swimming career. I was extremely disciplined. I was dedicated. I not only showed up at on time, I showed up early because I had a swim coach who made you hurry up and catch up if you were 30 seconds late. That was awful. Um, you know, as a great teammate. So I think bringing the, the successful attributes from our past, everyone's had success. Maybe you were four years old and you won the spelling bee. What made you great at that? Concentration. I mean, whatever it is. So I think it's leveraging those strengths and, and, and getting really honest with ourselves about the lies and excuses that we tell ourselves. I, I'm getting, I mean, I have moments with myself too, where it's just like, all right, you're making excuses, you're spinning out, you need to go sit your butt down and meditate and get clear on what's happening here and, and, and say it with love. Sometimes I say it with less love because, you know, it's like enough already. Um, but I think that's a healthy place to be, being very honest with ourselves. Don't what? you think though, you mentioned something in regards to the why? Don't you think that we start to lose our why? Like we have more, like you said, you swam at a certain part and there's probably a reason, a purpose and a passion you had for it that kept driving you to wake up early, go to the pool, swim. But as we get older, you think we start losing our why and that causes us to not go after certain things in life? I think a lot of people's why is all about them and it's not going to get you. It's only going to take you a certain way. Um, this book, for ex example, so much bigger than me. If it were just about me, I would have never done it because I'm like, I'm a, it's not a moneymaker unless you're a huge celebrity. It is so much work. I can't even begin to describe it is it with this. I wasn't writing about cupcakes. I mean, this was heart wrenching. I had a vulnerability hangover every day. I've never cried more in my life. It was just so much to relive and, and, and talk about. Um, but it, I've had a bigger purpose. You know, I think we all hear the call. Um, few of us answer it. For me, this was answering the call. My mom asked me, you know, what did you get out of writing this book? I, have, I see the people benefiting. What did you get out of it? And I said, I, this was an agreement with God. It's like, I, I, I answered the call. This is for Sam and Roth, who I lost. It was a promise I made to them energetically. And, you know, I think, especially when you write a book, everyone and their mother starts to say, I want to write a book. And I think, great. I, I really think, no, you don't. <laughs> like, I, I know you, like, you don't want to deal with rejection. You don't want to like, but a lot of the whys I hear like, well, it'll help my business or it'll, you know, fame or notoriety and all this stuff. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to help your business and all those things. But um, I think when your why is uplifting the world and energizing the world and genuinely helping people and, and a cause or organization greater than you for my mental health, suicide prevention, giving people the skills so that they don't end up like me, a very happy, successful woman who was, you know, at a Dwayne Reed in New York City contemplating taking a bottle of pills because I was in so much pain. We don't need to get there. Um, so I want other people to not experience the dark place that I've been in. And I want people to feel seen and heard and acknowledged. So you got to have a why bigger than money and bigger than impressing people. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, Kate too, like that's the same reason why I wrote my book. It was like, if I helped one person, if it helped one person, it was worth it. Right. And so it goes back to like some of your, your toughest points in life 
become the breadcrumbs of your purpose, right? They become the, your reasons why. And then it becomes more than just yourself. And like you mentioned, if I was just doing it for me, I, you'd stop typing. It wouldn't, it wouldn't go very far. Right. Because it's like, well, I don't really, I, how is this really benefiting me? I don't know. But it, it, and in fact, when I finished my book, it was the most healing thing I did. Cause I, I, you're able to get out all the things that you were maybe haven't suppressed. And so the benefits actually were, I felt like I had a weight lift off my shoulders. I'm not sure if that's how you felt as well, but I mean, they weren't monetary benefits. They were more social, emotional, mental benefits of just letting it out there and then letting the chips fall where they may. And, you know, not everybody's going to agree with what you say, but if, you know, more people are saying, Hey, thank you. then you know, you were on the right path. And so I think that's part of it too. Like you mentioned is doing it. How is this going to benefit others? And, you know, and that's why we started 40 athletes, Jim and I, we saw a problem mm -hmm. right now. Suicide is the second leading cause of death between 10 to 34 year olds. So what can we use sports for? Like you taught, you know, your resiliency piece that you learned that we can help teach kids and because they're, they're not being taught I, I still have kids that have this problem and they're and they're getting younger which is really sad yeah it is an epidemic that as you both know not many people want to talk about um <laughs> you know kate kate i i do want to ask you this i know like your why was to help people you lost two people are very important to you that you loved um to suicide but my question would be is like how you know with covid and the challenges and there's a lot of people have lost their lives during this year and families are struggling what are um what are some suggestions and tips that you would have for them that's helped you kind of get through um some of these you know, challenges you went through of losing people that you truly love. Yeah, I think a number one thing that you can do that I write about in the book, it's one of my, my favorite exercises ever, and it's what's called a gratitude visit. And, and think of someone, think of someone right now who has changed your life in a profound way and you've never properly thanked that person and write them a 300 word letter expressing your gratitude, what they mean to you, how they've helped and changed your life. Call them up and say, I want to come visit. Don't tell them why. And I had to do it over Zoom, um, so Zoom or in person, and show up and, and, and look at them on the computer in person and read them this letter. And, and what it will do is dramatically transform your well-being, their well-being. You'll have a new bond for life with this person. I certainly do with my friend Vanessa, who I, I wrote this letter to. Um, and, and that's what science says. And that's what research says. And that's what my life says from experience. That moves the needle on your well-being not the car, not the house, not the money, not the notary, not like that stuff is great, as you know. And, and you're really happy when you get the thing. I've been there and you're happy for 20 minutes. And then you need the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And the more you get and the more success you achieve, you need more and more and more. And our brains get used to stuff. Oh, our brains. Oh, our brains are not always our friend, as you know. Then it's like, I'm so satisfied with a $100,000 salary. Now I'm not happy or feel fulfilled unless I have $300,000. And then it's like the people next door, they're millionaires. I'm not going to be happy unless I'm, I mean, it's sick. I think we're all guilty of this in, in some way. So do this gratitude visit, um, have an act of, of service that you commit to weekly or, or monthly. Um, be kind to every person you meet, strike up a conversation with that cashier at the grocery store, say, thank you on your emails, say, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I think these, these genuine expressions of gratitude and appreciation, starting with ourselves, 
tell yourself, hey, great job. That person was really difficult to deal with and you handle them with such grace. Bravo, bravo. Um, you know, being in, in, in that place, because that switches you out of the doom and gloom, out of the, the, the ickiness, out of the, you know, sadness and anger and frustration and into a place of, you know what, I'm going to call up Jason today and ask how I can help out. He seems like so busy lately. He's doing so much great work in the world. I'm going to ask if I can take his kids for the day so he can connect with his wife or connect with himself or, um, work on 40 athletes in a more meaningful way to help more people, right? So I think anytime we can make it about other people and get out of our own way is a really great start. Dang, Jason, you take Kate up on that. I know I would. I mean, my God. What time are you going to be here? Let's go. Right. Hey, hey, what's with the plane ticket, Jim? Hey, I do uh, on this, Kate, though. This has been a challenge for me, um, as you mentioned. So, you know, you, you study a lot of personal development. Um, goal setting is big. You know, set the big goals, right? You want this, this, and that. Don't don't know how you're going to do it. Know what you want, right? Um, and you set these big goals. And what I found myself, I was telling Jason, is when they didn't happen in the time frame I want them to, I started to get frustrated. I started to get pissed off. I started, like, not being grateful for, like, the home and the car, the stuff I do have. And I had to, like, check myself. I had to get to the point to where I'm like, okay, I have a desire for certain things. That's great. But I'm thankful for the home I live in. I'm thankful for the wife I have. I'm thankful for the kids. I'm thankful for the car. I got a car that's paid off. That's, that's you know, so many years old, but I'm thankful for it. And it, I had to do more of the gratituding and being thankful because I started to get myself not in a good mental state and started to get frustrated. I don't know if you experienced that with people and seen that, but that's what I've experienced myself. A hundred percent. And and I was I was there two days ago, I feel like in some ways and, and it shifts. Right. And then the next day I, I was great. So um, a few things, I think, first, forgive yourself for for getting in that place. And it's it's a product of our culture and, and that and, and we special we don't even realize the messaging and imagery that we're constantly bombarded with. I mean, you log on to social media, you can feel on top of the world. Five minutes later, you can be like, I'm not cute enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not successful enough. Like my thing was like, oh my gosh, this other author, she did like 30 posts about her book. I did three. Oh my gosh, I need to do more. I'm like, no, no, you, you know, you can do it your way. And so you get into that comparison trap where we start judging ourselves and others. So that's, it's like timeout, timeout. You guys have kids, you put them in timeout. You need to have your little adult timeout and go turn off all the devices and, and just sit quietly and be like, okay, what is really true and, and, and coming back to that. But we have to forgive ourselves because that is our culture. Um, I think as a woman, I look at imagery and I, I look, I, I turn on shows or on social media, I'm like, oh my gosh, these women don't even look like human beings anymore. They look like aliens. And it's just how sad with, with the plastic surgery and, and things like that. So, um, but when are you not thinking about that stuff? When you're horseback riding with your family or you're at basketball practice or you're reading your friend, your gratitude letter. So more of those type of activities that connect us with ourselves when we're not on our device, like being like, oh my gosh, I'm not enough. I think we're all guilty of, of being in that not enoughness, whether it's what we look like, our house, how much money we have. And it's sick, our culture is sick. I think we own that and then it's like, oh, you know, oh, Jim, you're just plugged into the sick culture for a minute. Unplug, plug into your heart, plug into your family, right? 
Yeah. Well, you know, Kate, uh, I love that gratitude exercise. I, you know, I've always heard about writing out, but actually reading it to somebody else. That's a, that's a piece that uh, I'm going to try out, especially you know, maybe with Jim, with my wife. That sounds like a, mm. a pretty cool exercise and, and very powerful. So, hey Jason, if I did that, I'd probably have to get a Kleenex box. You know, I'm emotional, I guess. That's the point. Uh, Everybody oh cries. Right. I'm telling you, Kate, I'm be like, bawling like a baby. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're reading something that you're really, truly thankful and grateful for that person. You know, it is, you get emotionally connected. Yeah. So that, that's what I mean. You said that. uh, I was like, not just sending it to him. Right. Like reading it to reading him. It. But wouldn't you rather uh, read it to his face while he's living than at his funeral? And, and that's the, when you hear these, these declarations of love and gratitude at funerals, it's yeah, nice. Why not? Right. why not do it now? And, and yeah. like, you know, I mean, and that's the thing too. We don't even, even people that love us or claim to love us. I have moments where I'm like, I think of a relative. I'm like, does he even love me? I, I I know he does, but it's not clear based on his. And I know people, especially men, I love y'all, but you have a hard time expressing emotions sometimes, but this is the challenge, right? And it's just like the diamond rings and the gifts are nice, but if you really want to deepen your relationship with a colleague, friend, spouse, um, whomever, stranger, how, how hard is it? I mean, first of all, it's free. And to even say, I mean, I, when I go to the grocery store, oh my gosh, you are so speedy at bagging my groceries. You're amazing at your job. Thank you. I mean, people look at you like you're insane because what do people usually hear? Complaints, you know, write a mean letter to the boss. So I think just yeah. start having fun with it and make it a part of your day. Like, oh, Jason, I love your shirt. Red's a really nice color on you. Oh, thanks. I, yeah. I do, uh, Kate, you mentioned that your, uh, your dad was in Vietnam and, uh, I had a good friend of the family, and his name was Jim Landis. God bless his soul, but he passed away. But he used to always tell me, he'd be like, he'd be like, Jim, when was the last time? When was the last time? And I was like, what are you talking about? The last time? <laughs> when was it? And I was like, what? When was the last time you gave your mom and dad a hug and a kiss and told mm -hmm. you love them? When was the last time? Because he goes, you don't know when that last time is going to be. And as you said, like, life can go like that. And how we have those regrets. And like, like maximizing the opportunities to do the things while they're here mm -hmm. instead of like afterwards, like, I wish I would have said this. I wish I would have done that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and just, and, and that again, that's a, a symptom of our society and everyone's too cool or too scared or just so let's be a little more courageous with, with our, our emotions and our, our love and our vulnerability. And that really is true strength and, and set the example for others and be like, Oh, like, Okay, he did it. I guess I can try it out. And uh, Kate, you know, uh, we appreciate you coming on today. And we we always finish the show though with uh, four questions with forty athletes. And I think this is a great segue into it after uh, you know, talking about being vulnerable and that kind of thing. And so I think, what is the best life lesson? This is the first question: best life lesson that sports taught you? You got one minute, lightning round answer. Go for it. Best life uh, lesson. I think the importance of, of showing up on time, of showing up when you don't feel like it, when it's inconvenient, showing up for your teammates, uh, keep going even when it's hard and when you're exhausted, have a, a goal bigger than yourself and the days that you can't show up for yourself, um, show up for your teammates, show up for the organization, show up for the cause. And I think sport has also taught me the importance of discipline and dedication and work ethic and having 
fun. We've all forgotten to have fun. That's when my career, I think, took a sideways turn. It wasn't, it wasn't fun anymore. I wasn't enjoying it. I was too much in my head and obsessed with the external. So being in the joy of the sport and, and why you loved it in the first place. Hey, Kate, thanks for bringing that up, being on time. Yeah. I think I'm out right now because I'm on time today. Hey, listen, so it's okay. That's, oh, gosh, you're right. Yeah. Thanks, Kate. I'm it's good. all good. It's all good. You're the wrong time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number two, number two, if you could spend time with anyone, passed away or alive in sports, who would you pick and why would you choose them? Well, I've got him right behind me. Oh, see, I'm flipped here. But um, yeah. this is Kobe Bryant's Mamba mentality. I've always felt a connection to Kobe. We're born in the same year, um, exactly seven months apart. And what I loved about Kobe is his I don't give a crap attitude. I, I'll never forget the NBA playoffs when he was in Philadelphia, his hometown, just getting booed to death. And I thought, oh, my gosh, if that were me, I'd want to cry. Not only did he not cry or let it bother him, but he continued to knock down three after three after three, just teaching a clinic. And what I remember about that is, you know, don't be concerned with the people in the cheap seats in the stands who can barely dribble a basketball when when you are the, the great Kobe Bryant and to really stay focused on the prize. And his I don't give a crap attitude always inspired me because for years I really cared about what other people thought. I would be affected by other people's thoughts and opinions. And so it's like, be like Kobe or be like Seabiscuit, the thoroughbred horse. He's another favorite athlete of mine. Keep those blinders on. Run your own race. As Kobe says, keep going. I love that. Yeah. Well, the uh, third question is, um, what is the best advice you've ever received from a coach that you've played for or worked for? Mm. Um Larry Lyons, my swim coach from growing up in Cincinnati, Ohio, always said, if you take care of the little things, the big things will take care of themselves. And this is actually spiritual fitness, the little things in swimming, fingertip touches, don't breathe in and out of your turns, things like that, tight streamlines. You focus on those every day consistently in practice, the big things like state and national championships, your best times, college scholarships, Olympic trials, those things take care of themselves. So that's what I feel like the spiritual fitness and the full spirit workout is all about. Just those consistent little practices. And then before you know it, it's like, wow, I'm, I have to look around sometimes. I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm living the life that I prayed for a few years ago. And it didn't happen overnight. There was a lot of frustration and, and irritation and, and stress, but to keep going, I, I, I did my fingertip finishes and, and outside of the pool as well. And then, you know, you get the results. Well, it's kind of like that, like the little things make the big difference, right? Yeah. Uh, inch by inch, life's a cinch, yard by yard, life's a hard, just like that little thing one day at a time. I love that. And the last one is this. If you had one character trait or life skill that you could have in, say, an athlete you're coaching or somebody you were um, going to hire to work for you, what would it be? Uh, I love that. Well, you know, when I was at Penn State, my coach said in the media guide about me, about Kate's infectious enthusiasm. And I loved that because that felt unique to me. It wasn't about she was the state champion or she, you know, infectious enthusiasm. So that's my special sauce, original medicine, whatever you want to call it. I invite everyone to to come up with what your thing is. But there, people say that to me all the time. You have so much energy. You're so enthusiastic. And it's like, yeah, I'm excited about life. Like, let's go. And so for me, I love that characteristic and, and other people, the energy, you come, you're playing to win, you're having fun, you care about the people around you, you want everyone to win and, and be better. So 
I would like everybody to show up with more energy and enthusiasm for life, even the mundane tasks, even the things you don't want to do. Come with the intention and spirit of making someone's day, making someone smile. As I like to say, I've got a ton of job titles, but my main one is the joy bringer, bringing the joy. I love that because I know they say like enthusiasm's contagious, but you do. Yeah. Like, you do like, <laughs> like, hey, come on, man. Come on, Kate. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah yeah well uh hey kate you know we appreciate you having on today so much great wisdom and knowledge that you share with us um so how can people find your book find you get a hold of you where where's your outlets where can they find kate ekman sure so my website is kate ekman.tv e-c-k-m-a-n.tv like the tube that you watch the book you can go to the full spirit it's also on amazon and everywhere books are sold i would love to connect with you online um please let me know what you think of the book you can write a review reach out to me happy to talk about it and um, talk about your favorite lessons or exercises and i just think the more that we can all really build our inner fitness the the better that this world is going to be and and that's my commitment that's my why yeah yeah it's great well kate enjoy your wednesday uh and we will talk real soon for sure so thanks again for coming on today thank you so much for having me you guys are a delight can't wait to do it again yes thanks. i'll be on time next time kate I <laughs> okay thank you bye guys take care well jim you know she mentioned self-image quite often and uh you know it's many times that you'll never outperform your self-image and luckily for us and we've built out a program that teaches you just that. So Jim, where can we find our ability to, to develop our self-image? Well, you can find the information that you can get on how to build your self-image at 40athletes.com. But as we talked about, it's like, you know, you have to, as Kate did, find out, you know, kind of where you're at, right, with that self-image and be honest mm -hmm. with yourself. And then when you could be that, like, what self-image would you like to have? Who would you like to be, right? It's almost like then you can write it out, describe it, and then start to become that type of person. And I love what like Kate talked about. It's like when she talked about Kobe, it's like, you know, not giving a, uh, I'm this and this is what I'm gonna do. Gonna and be, I know yeah. it and I have that confidence in myself. And I don't care, I love what she said. I don't care what the people in cheap seats say. I don't care what the people who can't dribble basketball say. They can't make a shot say, I don't care about them. So it's almost when you get that self image that you truly know who you are, as Kate said, you're able to go to, you know, sky's the limit for you. Level. Yep, absolutely. You know, they always say, you know, the, the most actions in the front row. So, you know, um, that's for sure. Well, Jimmy, another great episode. Uh, look forward to next week as well. So uh, have a great Wednesday yourself. And uh, well, thanks for the patience today. I appreciate you, Jace. You right. know what? It's uh, hey, patience is suffering. So I suffered a little bit, but we okay. got on there. Yeah, the patience is part of the five, what, five P's? Five P. Actually, there's there seven the now. P's. There's seven. We went there all One for every P's. day. And we gave two extra P's, too. Right? right. Here we go. That's the bonus. Let's go. All right, Jimmy. Have a good one, man. All right, take care.